0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Rob the Genius podcast. It is April 2nd. Well, at least April 2nd as of the day I'm publishing this thing. (coughs) You might be listening to it on April 3rd, 4th, 5th, whenever. All right. Anyhow, yes, we are into April. We're in the spring. And this is Easter weekend. I wish everyone a happy Easter, whether you're celebrating for religious reasons or just for candy, egg, and Easter Bunny reasons, right? Happy Easter to everybody. And uh, we got some good stuff lined up for you this week. The music is all New York themed because later on in the show, I do have a guest. It's my man, Brooklyn Ige. He is the number one listener and number one supporter of the show. And he lives in New York. I was born in New York. So the music this week, with one exception, is all about New York. So this week we got, (coughs) well, so I mentioned my man, Ike, he's going to be on, we're going to talk about some pro wrestling history, particularly WCW, because it's the 20th anniversary of WCW folding up, so that's in the last part of the show. So as always, if you are not interested in wrestling talk, then you know I'll give you the I'll give you the cue and if you want to bail at that point, you're free to go. <laughs> but I do think uh if you were a fan, if you're not a wrestling fan today, but you were a fan way back when, you might be interested in, in the conversation we had. It's a good one. But other than that gonna spend a few minutes on Kong vs. Godzilla came out this weekend and I got something to say about the totally bizarre subject of stealing TikTok dances and one Addison Ray. just wanna get to that too so for now for now, oh and uh, before I jump into the show here, just gonna throw a little add in that Welcome back Detective Stabler. <laughs> look, I've said before that, that Elliot Stabler is one of the worst-aged characters in TV history in the shortest amount of time, simply because he was—I mean, he was a rough justice kind of policeman—and <laughs> <coughs> well, that kind of approach ain't the, <laughs> doesn't fly. And, 2021 the way it did way back when but um he's back it was great and you know I'm locked in for not just why I've been been watching Law and Order SVU but you know for this organized crime thing that Elliot Staber is like the main character I'm in for that too so yeah um So on Thursday night, we're back to watching the police. (laughs) And I regret nothing. I'm sorry, okay. Elliot Stabler has always been a very well-written, well-acted character. And if you're going to scare me off by telling me that... uh, You know, his you know, great grandfather or something was some evil dude. I'm sorry. Nope. Benson and Stabler are back together again. Yay! Bye. Right, but anyway, all right. Enough of
0: that.
1: <laughs> enough of that. All right. We're gonna hit you with some more New York music, and then we're gonna get back to the show.
2: Got a place in New York In New York summers get hard Well into the hundreds You can't walk around the block Without a change of clothing What is a hair dryer in your face? What is a handbag in a cannabis? Just got a place in New York
1: Further, here, I just want to say a couple things because this past week, I think it was March 31st, was Trans Day of Visibility. And like, I'll be first one to admit that's normally not a day that, that shows up on my radar, okay? Um, and it's not this or whatever, just, you know, um, I didn't know that it was that day until this year and I saw people on Twitter bunch of people tweeting about it but uh, it, it kind of does resonate a little bit because of these laws that are being passed my there's a law that was passed in like Oklahoma or Arkansas where they essentially banned you know athletic activities in schools for transgender children And... yeah, I'm just kind of seeing like, what in the hell? Seriously, what in the hell? This is what they would rather do... Than try to understand and educate themselves... About... Transgender children. Alright, um... Just look, I mean you always get these disingenuous bad faith, you know, arguments debates, whatever you want to call them where people who don't know anything about biology or science start you know, asking questions about testosterone and hormone levels and what about this and what about that and, you know and, you know, posing these hypotheticals where you know, a kid with all male body parts and is built like You know, a linebacker or something decides to go play, you know, girls lacrosse and, you know, runs over everybody. Right? I mean, they're always, you know, there's always posing these hypotheticals. And I should say it's not even, and we're not even talking about like a transgender kid. We're talking about, you know, a kid with all male body parts who fully identifies as a boy gonna call themselves transgender so they can go play girls across and and run over all the girls. Right? That's always the crazy hypothetical nonsense that they bring up as a you know, case. Well what about that? Right? And um or you know, they bring up that well what if again this is another just ridiculous what if. You know a man who fully identifies as a man, you know, and everything what if they call themselves transgender so they can go into women's bathroom and then attack women who go in the bathroom, right? That's the other one they bring up all the time. That's how, that's where the basis for these bathroom bills in some of these places came up, right? That on this the crazy hypothetical that, you know, some guy is, has all male body parts and identifies as a guy. Is going to call themselves transgenders They can hide out in a women's bathroom And attack women who come in the bathroom And to which I say that A man who is going to attack women in the bathroom Is just going to walk in there and do it Alright They're not going to go through all that song and dance You know To do Quote unquote legally You know go in the women's bathroom so they can commit a crime right? men who assault women tend to just do it alright and yeah I mean they do it in spaces which they you know regularly occupy all that kind of stuff but they're not gonna it's it's a stupid thing alright it's just stupid and it's the kind of thing you come up with when you don't want to sit down and educate yourself about what it means to be transgender. And these people are elected officials and school officials and whatnot. Like, look, you know what? I'm going to make a confession. I don't know what it all means to be transgender. Alright? I don't. I have not read up on you know all the, the biology and physiology and Psychology. I, I have not read up on any of that. I, if you were to ask me 20 questions about what it means to be transgender, I probably could not answer one correctly. Alright. But I'm not in a decision-making position. It affects trans men and women, boys and girls. Number one. And number two... Even though I am ignorant of all the details and all the particulars and all the things, you know I'm not an asshole. And I'm not a bigot. So I can say that even though I I, I am totally ignorant of the details and the particulars and all that. I know that they're human beings I know that they're God's children just like me and you I know they deserve to live Without getting Murdered by people Who don't who choose to hate them and I know they You know deserve to live without Getting the shit kicked out of them By people who choose to hate them And I know they deserve to not be Discriminated against for Whether it's school sports or employment or whatever By people Who make A conscious decision to stay ignorant And then Use that ignorance To Work themselves Into being scared And furthermore Deciding to just try and make it all Go away Instead of Educating themselves and ...seeing these folks as people. Alright. At the end of the day, trans boys and girls, trans men and women are people. They are human beings. And you should want them to be able to live the same way that the rest of us do. Alright. And does that mean that we have... You know, that the people who make decisions need to learn a few things and figure out how to make things work properly yes and if you're going to go on and on about testosterone and hormone levels then you need to learn what all that shit means and then you need to make an informed decision and you need to be willing to take the heat from the ignorant people out there who are going to give you a bunch of crap for making an informed decision if you're not willing to do all that then you shouldn't be in the position alright yes there are some awkward and conversations that need to be had when it comes to you know what sport people should play alright And but you need to talk to scientists and doctors and people who know what the hell they're talking about and instead of just spouting off about hormone levels and testosterone and whatnot. Alright. As far as things like bathrooms, I mean, it's real simple to have a damn unisex bathroom and everybody gets a stall. I mean, like, you know, where you can go in and close a door. I mean, that's not that difficult. Right? I mean, it really isn't. You know, and then, you know, if the building's big enough, like, you know, you can can still have men's and women's bathrooms, right, for people who just would rather be in the bathroom with people who look like them, you know, anatomically, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, okay. Or people who are just, you know, I mean, you I mean, there are ways to do that, okay? I and mean, then, as far as the bathroom thing, look, I mean, at this point, it's 2021. Either you've never been in the bathroom with a transgender person, or you have and you didn't know, all right more than likely it's one of those two scenarios I'm willing to say that very few people have been, have knowingly been in the bathroom with a transgender person and you know why and this is another thing I'm willing, I'm, I'm willing to venture out go on a limb here and say that you probably have not been in the bathroom with a transgender person you know why? Because they scared of your ass. That's why. All right? We're going to keep it real. We're going to keep it real. All right? They probably... Look, they're scared of your ass. And for good reason. So you don't have anything to worry about. And if you got kids in school and you're worried about, again you know, somebody built like Lawrence Taylor playing girls lacrosse that doesn't happen it's just dumb to make whole decisions based on that stupidity and based on the fact that you don't want to take the time to understand something that's different to you and maybe and because it's so different to you you get weirded out by it but anyway um, enough of that Again. Trans boys and girls are human beings. Trans men and women are human beings. And God's children like you and me, they deserve to live the same kind of life to me, and you get to live. A period and the story. Okay, that is the official statement of myself and the show. So that's it. You know, if you can't handle that, if, I, if that's what I'm saying is too much for you here and, and all that. Well, go jump in a lake. Better had to go play in traffic. Preferably during rush hour. Anyway, uh, back in a minute. going to the movie talk here that music you heard leading us in was not any new york rap <laughs> that was the song for godzilla from the godzilla king of monsters movie from a couple of years ago and so that should be your hint that we'll talk about king kong, godzilla versus kong which came out this week on hbo max and at the movie theater So look, if I'm talking about it, then obviously I like it, right? Because I do not, I repeat, I do not do this show to crap on things that I watch on TV or movies or whatever. I don't, all right? And I don't, I usually tend not to write reviews of movies or TV shows that I do not like because kind of what's the point, right? Well, and I mean, I guess some people want to be warned to not watch this or whatever, you know, but at the end of the day, it's my opinion, right? Um, Now, if you find that my opinions about stuff tend to line up with yours, then yeah, I guess, you know, seeing a negative review of something would help. But what I'm not going to do is like write some big long thousand word piece trashing something i'm not going to come here and do like a 15 minute segment trashing something all right that's what i'm not going to do i and i for the life of me i do not understand these people who do two and three hour podcasts just you know ripping something to shreds okay or the the two and three hour youtube videos where guys are just ripping stuff to shreds and there's this one guy who i'm not going to name I think it was either last year or in 2019 might, might have been last year he did like a three hour YouTube video review about why you know, Batman versus Superman actually sucks right, because I and to spend like two or three hours making a YouTube video about a movie that came out at this point what four years ago at that point and one where you just trash it makes absolutely no sense to me I I don't to me that is a miserable existence so I'm never going to do anything like that okay look if I give a bad review of something it's going to be quick right I'm going to talk about it for a couple minutes and I'm going to say okay I thought it sucked whatever but anyhow here talk about Godzilla vs. Kong and you can tell by the excitement in my voice that I really liked it. it was, and first of all, okay, I mean, it's a Godzilla movie, so you kind of grade it on a curve, right? It, I mean, those kind of kaiju monster fighting movies are, you know, look, it's not The Godfather or whatever, right? It's not. So you don't look at it that way. I mean, look, I mean, you, you, you kind of grade it the same way that you grade wrestling, okay? Or, yeah, I mean, in that ultimately, it, it's wacky shit, right? Troll wrestling is wacky shit. And me and Ike are going to talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, it, it's wacky shit. And so, you know, kaiju monster fight movies are wacky shit. And that's how you look at it. That's how you should judge it. You judge it within the context of it being wacky shit. So within the context of it being wacky. Thank you, Renee. Again, no, it's not, you know. Um, you know, it's not the Godfather. It's not. Lawrence of Arabia or something like that right? (laughs) No but they did what they needed to do which is keep the human stuff to a minimum that is the key to these movies because nobody comes to see the people alright nobody comes to see the people Nobody cares about the people in the movie. Alright? Nobody cares. So you last thing you want to do is have you know a two-hour movie where like an hour and a half of it is people talking. Right? Or, you know, no, no, we don't want that. And thankfully, they did not do that here. Thankfully they did it right. Okay, the people are there to set up the monster stuff. Or the, you know, the people are there. You need them on screen enough and talking enough to explain what the hell's going on. And then they get out of the way. Then they should get out of the way. And let the monsters be monsters and do monster stuff. That's how, you, you know, that's how you make these movies work. And the... the 2014 Godzilla movie was the opposite, right? And they had the whole bunch of people talking for most of the movie, and I think Godzilla didn't show up until almost the end, right? And it's and it was like, like movie critics, like critics loved it because you know it wasn't just a bunch of dumb monsters fighting, right? But it was boring as hell. Alright, so here in you know, and then Godzilla King of Monsters was the opposite, right? They went heavy on the monster stuff, which is what you're supposed to do because it's a monster movie. So, with this one, you had Kong and Godzilla, and you know, we all came to see them fight each other. That's what we came to see. We came to see Kong and Godzilla fight each other, which means you need some fights between them and not just one right you need some fights between them and you also need some you know time for them to do stuff solo right that's how you make it work and that's what they did thankfully thank god that's what they did and they didn't waste any time you know they didn't make us wait 45 minutes to see godzilla on screen and they didn't make us wait, you know, 30 minutes to see Kong They open up with Kong. And then, you know, 20 minutes in, maybe 15, 20 minutes in, we got Godzilla. And they were doing their thing. And then, you know, we had, and then you had the first fight. And then not too long after that, you had the second fight. And then not long after that, you had the big fight, which was the end of the movie, which is exactly, perfect setup perfect spacing perfect setup and yes you had people doing people stuff in between that but the people doing people stuff basically was just to explain what the hell was going on and to set the table for the big monster fights and that's what that's supposed to be so my kudos to everyone involved cast crew (coughs) crew director CGI folks you know everything this is exactly what we wanted to see so we're two for two so far for me anyway for, for new movies in 2021 Zack Snyder's Justice League gets an A Godzilla vs. Kong gets an A on the monster movie scale as far as comparing it to like movies at large I'd give it a B but on the monster movie scale it gets an A good job everyone and with that oh, I am I'm writing a review of it on my website RobsAGenius.com. so by the time you are hearing me talking here it will have been published so go read it again Robsgenius.com, go read it I have more to say Anyhow, break time, and gonna go from the fun entertainment talk to the entertainment outrage, and that is <laughs> about stealing dance routines. Oh, joy! So much fun. Be back after this. <coughs>
0: For his rap, Jappy Jack Larry Lat, third, least not last, a cool brother by the name of Gas. These brothers made you get loose. They was down with a brother called cousin Bruce. They used to jam in the center. Out there in the park they had to seize cause you sent for the Break the Brother Brick the Brother Brick the Brother Brick the
1: Brother Brick The Brick The Break the Brick Alright uh we had some Entertainment Social Media tomfoolery over the week or over the weekend I should say It involved one Addison Ray. Now who was Addison Ray, you ask? Good question, because I didn't know anything about I didn't know who she was either until this story came out. Or this. basically, alright, so Addison Ray was a guest on Jimmy Fallon. She's a twenty-year-old young lady who has gotten internet famous or social media famous or TikTok famous for doing you know dance routines on TikTok And I'm already I'm I'm feeling all of my forty six years as I say TikTok <laughs> Okay <laughs> It's what the kids are doing now Yeah but um anyway all right so She's gotten internet famous, and by that I mean basically is that in a corner, in her little corner of the world, her little corner of the internet, her little corner of social media, she has become a super huge deal, she has like 78 million followers on TikTok, and now, you know, she's become one of those influencers, she's doing advertisements and on, you know, products and things of that nature, and... You know and she's also parlaying this into some kind of entertainment singing career because she performed a song on the Jimmy Fallon show that she was on last either Thursday or Friday and she was part of a little bit where she was quote-unquote teaching Jimmy how to do TikTok dances and look at I mean it was a comedy bit right so she she does the dance and, you know she's quote-unquote teaching him and then he tries to do it and he doesn't do it very well course the problem is she didn't do it very well either that's one of the problems the other problem is that she did not come up with the dance routines yeah but wait there's more so Addison Ray is a white girl and these routines have been either created or perfected or kind of you know popularized at a lower level by people who are not white and this is the problem and well why is that a problem well cuz there's a long history of Things being created, perfected, etc., by non white people. And then, you know, the powers that be get a look at it, decide there's some money to be made off of it, and they slap a white face on it. And this is just the latest version of that. Now, there are different ways that it happens, right? And there are different levels of culpability. Okay, and. Okay, she doesn't get the 78 million TikTok followers and she doesn't get to be a, you know, pitch woman, product placement kind of Instagram influencer gal without some promotion, you know, from people in higher places, right, I mean, they, people, someone in some high place has seen that, you know, TikTok blowing up like it is, these dance videos are like the most popular thing on TikTok, so somebody in some high place clearly figured that, okay, we can make some money off of this, you know, we can, somehow get, you know, we can promote some of these folks doing this stuff, and with the right one, we can get out here, we can get some advertising, we can do a bunch of different things, we can make some money, and it chose her. now when I said there are levels of culpability alright here's the thing right because there are for example white recording artists who grew up listening to you know music that was made by black people right there are white artists who grew up listening to that stuff that's what they liked that's the music they came to love they had some musical ability of their own So that's the music they decided they wanted. That's the music they chose to play. Or sing or whatever. Right? That's one thing. And then... You know... The entertainment... Industry machine gets hold of you. Or they see you out there. And they see dollar signs. And they always see that there are more dollar signs... Next to a white face than a black one. Alright, now... That's one thing. But it's a whole other thing here. Because in this case... This girl knows good and well... She was stealing dance routines. Okay, she didn't come up with that stuff. She knows that. We all know that. Nobody even had to tell us that either. Right? And so she does a... You know, as the kids would say... Mid version of these routines and it's very low energy Uh, somebody even tweeted out like a side by side video of her showing on Jimmy Fallon next to like one of the people doing like the the real actual version and it's like night and day it's like double shot of espresso versus decaf Right, I mean, it just, you know, I mean, but as far as levels of culpability, look, she she knows that she did not create the routines, she saw other people doing them, and, you know, she did them and took a video, And and look, 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 okay, if it was just, hey, we like to dance videos too, me and my friends did you know we did the best we could and we were just having fun doing the same dances and we just made and we made videos of ours too and you know and and that was it and you know and our videos got more popular because we're white i mean if it was if it was just that then you know what it is what it is right charge to the game but clearly alright once this became a you know well singing on Jimmy Fallon basically means that, that, that she had some aspirations of some type of entertainment career and so basically she's using she's using stolen dance routines that she knows were stolen and she used them to get famous with the help of some people promoting her behind the scenes and promoting her videos and making sure her videos got to the top of the flagpole, right, so, you know, she's riding the wave here using stolen material to kind of fuel her own ambitions. And that's the problem. That's why I say she's a bit culpable here. Alright? You know. So no, just you know, smiling and saying, Oh, I didn't realize all you know, all of this. Or think she's actually come out and said, Well the yeah, well the 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 people who created them should get credit. Well well yeah. They should get some money too. They should get your money alright I mean really I mean she's getting five million dollars a year for doing bad renditions of stolen dance routines and because you know and she's parlayed that into you know advertising stuff you know because the powers that be Sought to put a pretty white face on something because they figured it would make them more money. And while, I mean, there's plenty of history to to suggest that that's correct, um, it still stinks. Right? I mean, it still stinks. let's be real she's a disposable pawn of the industry all right because she's had this kind of meteoric rise in over the last two years and look in two years from now she'll be an afterthought and simply because you know she's she's riding a fad here you know the people who probably call themselves fans of hers are teenagers who are known to move on from things very quickly I mean, like, you really gotta do something really substantive, really that sticks, right? I mean, because, like, I mean, her, her singing performance was like a flea market, you know, Britney Spears routine, basically, and the difference is that Britney Spears actually did some stuff that stuck with people, right? It's why there are people who still love Britney now, you know, some almost... 20 years or, yeah, some 20 years after she debuted. There, you know, there are people who still love Britney Spears now. And we'll still play Britney Spears songs because Britney Spears did some stuff that actually stuck with people. This girl ain't doing nothing that's sticking with nobody, so within two years, she's going to be gone anyway. And it just, you know, it, it speaks to. The way this, day, you know, the way that the entertainment industry works, they would rather have disposable people who they can make a quick, you know, cash out off, you know, off of, than to have to have, than to have people around that they're going to have to deal with for decades. Right. I mean, because I mean, look, I mean mc jagger is like 70 years old um and for probably the past 20 years if you wanted him and the stones to perform like this girl gets five million dollars a year probably had to pay them five million dollars just to show up once all right and the entertainment industry doesn't want to deal with they don't want to deal with people like that they'd rather you not get there all right you know or they'd rather you they'd rather you not get to be michael jackson Right, or you know the Beatles or whatever. right? They'd rather you not get there. They'd rather you blow up real fast. Have a short run. And then they get you out of there before they ever have to pay you anything real. And that's exactly what's going on with this girl. I mean, you can say $5 million. That's a whole lot of money. Because it is a whole lot of money. If you want to pay me $5 million to go do some bad TikTok dances. I'd be right, right now okay (laughs) I would be there right now you know but they're gonna they'll pay her 5 million you know they paid her 5 million last year I guess they'll pay her 5 million this year maybe the year after and they'll do that knowing that within you know that sometime within the next 3 or 4 years they won't have to pay her anything anymore right they'll do that they'll do that Instead of getting behind somebody Substantive That they might have to pay more money More money, more money for decades And look, I mean I'm sure there are some White folks doing TikTok dances Who are actually good Right, who are actually good at it And whether they're Doing somebody else's routine Or doing something they came up with They're probably out there Okay, but of course, if they are, and they're and they're really good, then they're not going to go away if you once if they become a big thing, right? So it's a whole lot of stuff going on here, right? I mean, it's putting a white face on a black product to be blunt, because the belief that the white face will sell more you know and that belief is not again it's, it's not fiction alright but it's also in her, in her case her taking advantage of the situation again she knows that the, the dance routines are stolen Right, she knows that she copied somebody so she's not innocent here she took advantage of the situation and whether she started out just having a good time with her friends or not at some point, you know, she sought out the the connection. She sought out the business. And she sought it out by doing stolen routines. Something that she did not make. And something that, you know, I mean she didn't she didn't grow up with some reverence for, you know, routines created by black people, right? I mean, it's not like she didn't grow up in the hood right and she wasn't outside like you know block parties or something while people were playing music during the summer or anything like no wasn't that okay if it was something like that then well there's still issues but you could begrudgingly maybe give her some some space right I mean if, if she grew up like that and she actually, like, learned to do the dances well and all. You, you, you could begrudgingly give her some space. Or even not begrudgingly. You could just say, you know what, she's good. But in this case, she's not. Right? She stole some stuff. That was not part of her life or whatever. And she's not very good at it. So, yeah, I mean there's no room to give her any type of respect or anything here it just isn't and she's not an innocent player here and but of course the bigger villains are the people behind the scenes who you know again sought to cash in on this and chose her as a front woman I mean, those are like the bigger villains, but she's a small villain in this, too. And, you know, well, you weren't trying to, to cancel her? No, I don't care, right? I mean, again, she'll be an afterthought in a couple of years anyway. But the, the point is to highlight what practice is here. And the point is to make it clear to those who would look to do the same... For themselves, that is dead wrong, and we see you, and we're not gonna shut up about it, okay? That's that's the point, okay? That's the point, and that the people who do come up with these things shouldn't just get credit because. Right? they should get paid alright somebody who sees them doing these routines somebody should call them and offer them a job choreographing something that's what should happen or you know offer them a job to be a pitch woman for stuff Right, I mean, the people who create this stuff should get the opportunities, or at least they should get opportunities. Look, if they still want to run her out there, you know, at the same time, whatever, and then you know, whatever. But it's the fact that she's getting opportunities that other people aren't because of of a system that uses white faces to sell things that were created by black people and other non-white people. That, that's the issue here. And then and also that, the issue is also those who are willing participants in that system. And not, again, not at a level where they just happen to be making more money to do something that they already already liked doing okay I mean we can talk about how the music industry makes Mick Jagger famous more famous than Little Richard right we can do that or I should say we we can talk about how the music industry put, put Mick Jagger in a more lucrative position than Little Richard and paid him more money a little richer, right? We can talk about that, okay? But here we're talking about somebody who's not even, you know, not even Mick Jagger or the Beatles, right? Not even. You know, we're, you know, we're not talking about you know Eminem. Who is, or you know, has been through his career a legit, very good rapper, or excellent rapper, one of the best rappers, whatever you want to say, but who definitely made more money because he's a white guy. Right, we're not talking about that. This is a big picture here, and it's not a pretty picture, really. Um, it's not but it's it's one that's out there it's one we need to talk about it's one we need to keep talking about and I don't expect it to ever end but by talking about it by keep continuing to bring it up by continuing to make a thing out of it maybe we can get some opportunities for people who should get them and you know look if they want to continue to put the, the Addison Rays of the world out there alongside these people who should be out there then they can do that And we can all see who has the real talent. Right? I mean, as it stands right now, we're not getting that. And that's why we're calling it out. And we're going to take a break. Be back in a minute.
0: Yo, what's up, Blastmaster KRS1? This jam is Kickin' words. Yo, what up, D Nice? Yo, what's up, Scott LaRock? Yo, man, we chillin', this Funky Fresh Jam. I wanna tell you a little something about us. We're the Boogie Down Badushi crew. And due to the fact that no one outside there knew what time it was, we have to tell you a little story about where we come from. South Bronx, the South, South Bronx, South Bronx, South, South Bronx. People tell me this style is terrific It is kinda different, but let's get specific KRS-One specialized in music I'll only use this type of style when I choose it Party people in the place that be KRS-One attacked You got dropped off MCA Cause the rhymes you wrote was whack So you think that hip-hop had this star out in Queensbridge? If you pop that junk up in the Bronx, you might not live South 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 South
1: South South And we're back and as promised I got Brooklyn Ike on with us today and he is the number one fan, number one listener of the show and we're gonna talk some, some
3: WCW and so how you doing today man? I'm doing all right, man. I want to say, uh, first and foremost, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I feel like your podcast is one of my great podcast finds of 2020. I uh, really enjoy your taste in music and how you handle the different subjects that you talk about. Yeah, well, thank you, man.
1: I appreciate it, man. And look, it's it's always good to have some loyal listeners, and you, you've you been loyal listener number one. <laughs> and we always have some, some great <laughs> feedback during the week also, man.
3: Yeah, Definitely.
1: So here today, we're here to talk a little WCW, because we both got some history as fans with that. And for those of y'all who don't know, it's the 20th anniversary of WCW going under and being bought out by Vince McMahon. So for some of us, it's kind of, it's a very bittersweet memory. And, you know, just as a thing to kick around and talk about. So, all
3: right. So when did you get started, like watching WCW? All right, so I placed my uh, first, my my, uh, origin story as far as WCW goes, uh, 88, 89 in that time frame. Uh, I placed my overall wrestling uh, origin story with the WWF back in about 87, 1987.
1: Cool, because for me, it was 85 was when I started, and it was WWF. And then I started watching around 86 I got into I started watching was Jim Crockett promotions which became ultimately WCW so I'm a couple of years ahead of you but we're both in there around the same time frame mm-hmm. uh so who was it like who did who did you really notice like who was it that you saw on there that really got you wanted to start watching?
3: WCW uh, in terms of WCW. Yeah, well, it's definitely Sting, man. To this day, I, I hold this real fondness for Sting. He's like my, my first, Well, my, I guess you would say my second superhero uh, from the world of pro wrestling. And uh, beyond that, over the years, during that early phase, I, I was pretty into Lex Luger once he turned face because I feel back then, I'm not going to lie. I was the, the kayfabe kid for the most part, uh, rooted for the good guys and hated the bad guys. Um, but Sting was definitely my number one guy. I liked the Road Warriors. Uh of course, when I started watching, they were kind of like on their like maybe their last strong year in the the NWA WCW before they moved on. And uh when I got in, the Steiner Brothers were I think just about starting up yeah. around that time period. Yeah. Like the Varsity Club stuff was kind of phasing phasing out from Rick, so because now,
1: uh, when I first did it, it was Dusty Roads and the Road Warriors were there, and then I was big on them too. And when I started, it was around the time that the, the original Four Horsemen got started. So, oh wow, yeah, man, I consider myself fortunate to be
3: there for the beginning of that. My, my uncle's uh, – my mother's side of the family is from Virginia, so you know that's old NWA country. Oh, yeah. So whenever I'd go down there yeah, and visit, uh, my uncles would tell me about Magnum TA and, oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So I didn't get to see the best of them, you know. Just because missed though, out I, on those guys, on, on their on their best time, you
1: know. Yeah, because, man, um, well, Magnum was such a sad story because um, I, mean, I basically caught the last year of his career, and he was – he was supposed to win the world title, like from Ric Flair and Starcade. That's what the story is, and actually, well, Jim Crockett actually came out and confirmed that that it was. That's how it was supposed oh, wow. to go. Yeah, and um, that was man, that was a sad day. But when they came out there and announced that he'd been in an accident, and it just they sounded like they were. I mean, I mean, this was 1986, so you don't have you know modern medicine and all that. So, I mean, that was a wrap for him as far as, you know, working ever again. And it was just, man, it was sad. It was just a sad day when they came out and announced that. And then, then like, a a week or two later is when they did the – when Nikita Kolov turned face. And that was – basically, they had to come up with something. And it was – and, you know, like, Nikita was one of, like, the number one bad guys so for him to and you know there wasn't no like lead up or nothing right because they I mean they were literally working on the fly basically because of what happened with Magnum and so one week he was still you know the bad guy Russian and all that and then the next week he came out and helped out Dusty Rhodes
3: <laughs>
1: and now you know what's funny though though I mean we just went with it even though you know like now now you would have people you know on Twitter mad and everything about, you know, this don't make no sense and you know, wasn't no build up to it, it just happened and all that, you know. But back then they did it and even though it was I mean, even though it was still like, well, what's he doing out here with Dusty? Like, why is he helping Dusty out? But they just but they did it and then, you know, we just went with it, man. And I mean they came up with some little explanation later. Like, you know, he was, you know, touched by The car accident and Magnum was like his biggest opponent, and he had all this respect for him and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, they they filled that in later, right? (laughs) And we just went with it, man. It was because you know (laughs)
3: that's true. Uh, I think back uh, to those days a lot, especially in the context of how we discuss wrestling nowadays. I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of the fact that maybe. It's just an imaginary world and sometimes you just got to buy in and then sometimes we have to just realize that certain things aren't really aimed at us specifically, you know, so. Yeah, man,
1: because, I mean, like, even, well, you know, all the stuff that he said and all that notwithstanding, I mean, it, it'd be hard to imagine somebody like like Hulk Hogan now. I mean... Because he was clearly pitched to kids. And, yeah. you know, I mean, and it, and it worked great. And, you know, I mean, look, and all of us who started back then, I mean, if you were a kid, then you were, at least for a minute, you were a Hulkamaniac, even if you didn't stick with it.
3: Definitely uh, a huge Hulkamaniac. I was the black kid in Brooklyn with the Hulk Hogan pajamas, the Hulk Hogan lunchbox, the LJN figure, 18-inch <laughs> uh, LJN figure. The, the ring, I had it, the bed sheets. Like I was all in. <laughs> oh yeah yeah man i mean that's how
1: i was because um like the first show i went to uh my dad took me to see hulk Hogan. and and it's funny because yeah, my my dad was a big bruno fan back in the day okay yeah so i mean he goes I mean, he goes back he goes back that far so um he's originally from the northeast right uh bruno i uh, know your your pop oh no well, he, well he's from south carolina and then, okay, he, yeah, I mean, and then they they moved up like sometime during the 50s, I think, you know, when, when everybody was moving out of the south, they did too. I got you, yeah, and then you know, What's so up, they came, oh no, that's cool, man. So they, they came to DC, and then you know, my dad grew up there, and then once he joined, he, he got in the military, and then, then he moved up to New York, and that's what, and I was born in Staten Island. Okay, yeah, because um, my dad was stationed uh, Governor's Island, you know, Governor's Island, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was stationed up there, and I was born in Staten Island, so yeah, we we moved down here around like
3: 1979, yeah, and that uh, that's the Maryland uh, area, right? So that's that's technically, I guess, uh, NWA territory, yeah, yeah, so.
1: I don't, I don't claim New York like like y'all
3: that lived there all y'all lives,
1: <laughs> but I I call myself basically like New York adjacent, you know. Yeah. So yeah, man. Um, so that's when I started, and did, like, do did you ever go on any shows or anything? Uh,
3: no, no big name shows to be honest, man. Uh, you know, spent most of my time being the the TV viewer. I went to. This doesn't count. Of course, cable uh, access wrestling shows that were in the neighborhood. Uh, not too far from me was an old church, uh, AKA Arena Portal, because some of the uh, underground type Brooklyn dudes used to wrestle there back in the late 90s and 2000s. Oh, okay. I'm excited hey, from my neighborhood, actually. Oh, for real? Oh, nice. Yeah. From Bedside. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I
1: don't know if you remember Big John Stud, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, he. Um, he lived here in Maryland for I mean, for a long time, and uh, his son actually works for the um, has wrestled for like the local indie here
3: for a real long time too. I've seen him a little bit in a uh, reality of wrestling, which is a uh, Booker T's c- company out in Texas. Yeah, yeah, I heard he uh, did some stuff down there too.
1: Yeah. So yeah, man. Uh, me, because. They used to come, well, WWF used to come to this place called the Capitol Center. And it was, like, not far from our house. So we went there a bunch of times to see stuff. And then there were some times I went to Baltimore to see some NWA stuff. And, like, Baltimore has always been, like, a really good wrestling town, man. Like, even now. So, now when, when when Rick left to go to the WWF, how did that feel, man? how did that feel for you?
3: <laughs> I mean, again, all right, so that uh the pay-per-view that was supposed to be uh I guess the one that I Flair dropped to Lucre. We yeah. I was on vacation with, at my Prix down in Virginia and we begged them for that great American bash, uh, not because of the scaffold match, but uh <laughs> but uh maybe it's- I <laughs> just had, you know, something weird that happened on that show, but uh, yeah, so seeing Ric Flair pop up with the digitized belt on a uh, WWF program, it was kind of like a huge shock because it's one guy you've associated with one company you see him pop up in another, you know, and it's not just some regular guy, it's like perhaps the flag bearer for that company. So this was a, a huge, huge shock at the time.
1: Yeah, man. It was, um, cause for me, like, um, I remember they, they just came out and said on TV that he was, that, that you know, he was leaving and yeah. just, I was blue and I was like, man, what's going on? Right? <laughs> like, 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 What's really going on here? And then like you said, then he showed up on, you know, the WWF with the, you know, with the digitized belt and all that. And it was just like this, man, this is crazy. And man, and, uh, I also remember man, because I also got kind of sad, too, because I figured that, uh, well, this is going to be it for
3: WCW. You know, I figured they would not going to be around much longer after that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I was kind of uh, – around that same time period, I was kind of uh, still, you know, a big Sting fan, but at the same time I was rooting for, for Luger during that stretch. Uh, but then at that same pay-per-view, he makes the big turn, and that threw everything out the window, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Now, yeah, I remember
1: that, and I mean, yeah, I always Luger was one I dug too. I always feel like Luger gets a bad rap, particularly now, and you know, cause everybody's all about you know work rate and everything now. And I mean, to me, Luger is somebody who just gets a gets a bad rap. I think he's a lot
3: better than people give him credit give him credit for. I agree. I mean, the, the the worst thing I could say about Luger in terms of his career is that they were. Periods of times where my interest kind of waned in him, but maybe that's a byproduct of how he was booked at the time. Because there were periods of time where I was like very invested in him, and then other periods where it's kinda of like Matt, you know. Yeah, yeah, that cause um
1: especially, you know, when when they you know, when they tried to do the whole Lex Express thing, you know, that was that just that just wasn't him, man. He wasn't like he he just wasn't Mr. You know, all-American superhero type of dude. That just
3: wasn't – that wasn't how he got down. And it just didn't – to me, it just didn't fit. Yeah, I bought in, but in in hindsight, that's probably not the best way uh, to, to book him. Uh, remember they did the little thing with the narcissist knocking out uh, Bret Hart? I think they should have yeah. probably run with that. Maybe not calling the narcissist, but maybe run with him being like this uh, – the total package, but in the WWE. A guy who's smart, an athletic, powerful, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, a bad
3: that was, guy. Yeah,
1: I mean, that, to me, that was, I mean, that was kind of his wheelhouse for real. Because I mean, that's when it really worked for him in WCW, and when they did him like that. Exactly. Actually, I mean, they're um, they're doing a special. He's going to have one of those specials on the um, was not the was not going to be WWE Network anymore. It's going to be you know Peacock or whatever. But um, yeah, they're doing one of those icon specials on him. I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to how they talk about him and all that stuff.
3: Yeah, that's that's exactly. It. I'm kind of curious about how they go about uh, highlighting his career, and if there's any kind of a uh, slant in how they cover him. Yeah, I
1: mean, same here. Because um, I mean, obviously, they got all that footage from when he was in, you know, WWE. But I'm just, I'm really curious as to how they talk about, you know, him in WCW and all that, and how that stuff went. You know, um, I'm hoping that you know, well, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to actually talk to him too. So I'm, you know, looking forward to hear what he has to say about everything.
3: Uh, I don't know if I've ever asked you about the same general time period. Uh, how, how high were you on uh, Barry Windham? Oh, man, he like I thought he was he was
1: very good. I Now, I didn't think that you know, he should have been like world champion. But like when he was U.S. champion and when he was wearing the black glove and all that. He was, I mean, he, like, he was one of like the best, just in ring people. Period. So I, mean, I think, he, yeah, I mean, I think he kind of topped out where he was supposed to. But now, I mean, but he's one of those dudes. Now, if like, if he was if he was working now, he'd be one of those dudes they were saying was being you know underutilized or whatever. <laughs> and that's you know that's another type of lane. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean that's another big difference between then and now. It's like.
3: And you know, like, back then, if somebody was U.S. champion, if they were good, then that was cool. Yeah, I mean, the Intercontinental Champions during the time period were, like, uh, to me, on par with the world champion. Like, I, I felt like that was an important position to have, uh, like, especially when Razor Ramon was carrying around the belt. You know, I felt like he was the real deal. Yeah, and, I mean, also, like, I mean, we, and we didn't
1: – back then, we didn't look at it like they were being shortchanged either. Right. I mean, yeah, true. you know, because, you know, I mean, Luger was U.S. champion, Nikita Kola was U.S. champion, Barry Wyndham, I mean, a whole bunch of really, really good people were, were, had that belt. And like a whole lot of really, really good people were intercontinental champion. And, you know, and again, no, didn't nobody feel like they were being done wrong or whatever by only being that, which is just a total,
3: totally different from now. You can make an argument that maybe Lex Luger's hottest period outside of, uh, I guess, that ninety-seven sh- uh, run, that that sh- run of uh, that run he had in nineteen ninety-seven. Not the title win, of course, but like just the fan reaction and stuff like that. Maybe he was at his hottest when he was the U.S. champion in eighty-nine and ninety. Oh yeah, I mean, I
1: agree because I mean he had, um, yeah, I mean he, cause, I mean he had, I mean because when he had the matches with uh, Flying Brian and um, mm-hmm. so he had some matches with like Steamboat and you know I mean yeah I mean that was that was one of his best periods and I mean to me is I guess one of the things that really bugs me about today is that like we just we don't value like if it's not world title if it's not main event level I mean there's a, a whole section of fans that just don't put any value into anything else and basically talk like you're being done wrong if you're only the U.S. champion, you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, like it's a waste of career or something like that, when, it, when it's not. I mean, everybody can't be I, to be honest, you know, take a step back from my own personal uh, likes for a wrestler, not everyone can be the guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and this, I mean, cause look, I mean, one of my favorites was Jake the Snake,
3: and he didn't have, he never had no titles. I mean, yeah, and now I can't even imagine him with a belt, to be honest, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, because, um, like it, it, it was kind of weird,
1: like, like thinking back, and, um, I mean, cause he, I mean, at least when he was in WWF, he didn't, he did not, he was never any kind of champion. I mean, he didn't even get that many title matches, right? No, but. Everybody, was, it wasn't a problem. You know, we didn't have no issue with it or nothing, right? Because he was really good, and he always had some really good feuds and stuff going on. And it was cool.
3: True. Yeah, and now – He had the kind of personality and character to, to make it so that he, having a belt didn't made him or or broken up like his personality, his promos. That's what carried him. Yeah. And, of course, he had Damien, which was, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, man, it's just now, um, again, if somebody like him now,
3: there'd be a bunch of people on Twitter mad every week. That's true. I mean, the, the best we can hope for, I guess, as a fan, is just to have our favorites uh, be on TV regularly and maybe putting somewhat – prominent stories. I mean not even saying like main event level stories, but that that they're on TV doing something regularly, you know?
1: Yeah, and that's I mean, that's honestly I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's a good career to have, right? I mean like even somebody like, you know, Dolph Ziggler, right? Dolph stay on T V he you know, he's doing you know, the the, the stuff in the ring he does is always it's always at least pretty good and sometimes it's really good every week I mean he occasionally gets you know some type of title thing or something like tag team title or whatever right and I mean the grand scheme of things that's
3: that's a better career than like 90% of the people right yeah I mean when he when he hangs it up for good you know he's a a legitimate guy to be uh named as a hall of famer you know yeah and um and yet or even like you know, like And he's a Hall of Famer at the bank, which oh, is probably the most important thing. Oh, absolutely, man. <laughs>
1: absolutely, man. Um, you know, Cesaro, same thing. I mean Cesaro got all them tag team titles. He's always really fun to watch in the ring and all of that. And yet, I mean, every day, you know, it's people saying that he ain't getting used right, he being done wrong, just that and the other. He signed
3: He's, he's a Hall of Famer at the bank, <laughs> so that's a, that's all he can ask for. Uh, yeah, personally with Cesaro, I like him a lot. Uh, I think he probably has to unlock something else in him for people, for the, the wider audience to view him as the top guy, uh, but I like him. Oh, me too, man. I mean, he's always been fun to watch. and And to me, I
1: think personally, I just think we need to celebrate him for the, for, for the work he's done, because it's it's been really good. That's true. And I wish we did more of that now, you know, because we, we don't. I mean, because too many people are too busy looking at what somebody didn't get instead of appreciating what they have gotten, you know what I mean? That's true, too. So fast forward in a few years, you know, there was another big day. And that was the day where... You know the holster
3: told everybody to stick it. <laughs> yeah. and, and just like that last pay per view I mentioned, I was also on vacation, on vacation in Virginia, begging the grandparents to order the pay per view, and and I saw that turn live. Oh wow, so, man! Uh, <laughs> that that one hit me
1: like a kick punch at the time, man. Because um I had taken a break for a while and I was just starting to get back into it. So I wasn't at the point yet where I was ready to put down, you know, no pay-per-view money. And, of course, I missed it. <laughs> but I heard about it, though. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that was just crazy, man. I, I mean,
3: I would have never had called that. Not because uh, the third man, I, I always assumed it was going to be someone – from the WWF roster at that time. Someone, I don't even know who, who I would have thought. I just would have not placed it at Hogan, you know. Yeah. Um, ultimately, is probably the the biggest thing in wrestling at that point. Oh, no doubt. Because um, for me,
1: I thought it might be like, I was thinking it might be Luger because Luger just had that history of switching up on people. Mm-hmm. So I think it thought it might have been him. But then you know, then but to see yeah to see Hogan and <clears throat> and to see him go just jump in with both feet into being a bad guy
3: was just like yeah man it was insane man <laughs> like a fish to water to be honest <laughs> like he's uh, just as believable during that phase as he was at any other point you know yeah and um,
1: I guess was, like one thing that made it work so much was that well, because he waited so long to do it. Right, I mean, you just had so much history and so much kind of context leading up to it, and then that just, you know, and that just made it that made it hit harder. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking the same thing, kind of with, you know, with uh, Roman. You know, same thing because you know a lot of people wanted him to switch way earlier, but just for me, waiting as long as they did to do it, it, it just it hit different. I can see that. I can see that. You know, and then, you know, of course, I mean, it never happened with uh Lena.
3: In that same time frame, uh, you said you would, you kind of take, took a break from wrestling at that time, right?
1: Yeah, like um, I got out like around like he was about 92-ish. I kind of just fate and you know, fell off. And then, yeah, I came back in. Around the time that the NWO was starting is when I started to watch a little bit again. And then, you know, before too long, I was all the way back in.
3: Okay, got you. And, and that kind of places something I was thinking about. Uh, around that same, maybe a year prior, uh, not quite a year prior, that would have been the, the birth of WCW Nitro. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't I don't think we want to fast forward all the way to uh. Uh, yet, but I was just thinking about how up until that point, as a wrestling fan, you didn't have to choose between the two shows. If you didn't want, to. like, you might have grown up favoring one over the other, maybe based on geographically where you live. But you didn't really have to choose because they both kind of occupied their own space uh, and time. But uh, that was, I would say, the period where you had clicker cramp going back and forth, trying to trying to uh, find out which show was more entertaining for you. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, man. Because um, so when when I
1: when I came back in, I was mainly watching Nitro, and then I started just to see what was going on on Raw. Sometimes just kind of clicking back and forth, and then you know, then of course the the Monday Night Wars got in full effect, and for me, I mean, it's well again, this it was totally different than now, I guess. But for me, it was just you know I was doing the clicking back and forth, even though you know I was a WCW loyalist first and foremost.
3: Uh, no, I didn't. me and for, for me personally, uh, I can't say that I've ever identified as maybe brand loyal to either one of the companies because because uh, I didn't have to choose prior. I was just watching any and everything that was on TV that was wrestling related. So me clicking back and forth was just like who's who's putting on the most entertaining stuff at that particular time, or who's doing something that's that's shocking or, you know, can't miss at that particular moment. I got you, because... Um, I mean, I, I
1: watched everything, because we had, like, at one point, like, when I first started watching, at one point, we had, like, NWA, WWF, and then it was, like, UWF,
3: and... Mm-hmm. Uh, channel America? Oh, yeah, man, yeah, man. Um, IWCCW I that was also around that same time period, <laughs> and um, what was it? And then ESPN was showing like AWA
1: and World Class, yeah, and then later GWF and uh, USWA. Oh, yeah, yeah, and but I mean, I was always like an NWA man first, yeah. So, when so when I started watching again, you know, I, I went to WCW first because that's just you know. That's what my loyalty always was. But then, yeah, like, then the, like, the Monday night thing started, and just the flipping back and forth started. And at that point, I mean, most of my friends weren't really into it no more, so it was just me. And, like, I knew a couple people that were into it, so we would call each other on the phone and all that while stuff was going on,
3: like, did you see this? Did you see that? You know what I mean? Yeah. At that time, it was me and my, my younger brother. Uh, we were the ones in the living room watching wrestling mainly. Uh, sometimes my, my father, before he passed, would watch with us or my grandfather. Uh, but it was primarily me and my my younger brother. Because uh, for me, I'm like, my first started,
1: it was mainly just me and then, like, my dad would watch sometimes with me because, like, for him, uh so like when I first started watching, Bruno was doing was doing commentary, so that was kind of a hook for him, you know. But then by the time the, you, know, when the, you know when the Monday Night Wars was going, it was it was mainly just me and I, I knew a couple people and we would just kind of call each other and, and talk on the phone while the shows were going on and everything. You know, did you see this? Did you see that kind of thing? But In I no mean, campus. yeah, and um. It was just, but it was a I mean it was it was a whole different atmosphere compared to like the what they were calling the Wednesday night wars now. You know what I mean? Like just you didn't have like the animosity and all that and everything.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe maybe I guess within that newsletter uh, or rec pro wrestling, whatever the news, news groups were at the time. Maybe it was that circle, but uh, Fans. It was Just good-natured ribbing, if anything, like back and forth talking about the other guys.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, that was it. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. You, you know, you get on each other a little bit. Like, if something really bad or really stupid happened, you know, I mean, you'd be like, oh, that's your, oh, that's your man's That's your that's that's your boys doing that stuff. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it kinda of, but that was kind of it, really. I mean, you know. And now, you know, especially with like Twitter and all that, man, you got people just fighting every day man
3: now and this I don't know man it's, you know
2: switch <laughs> yeah, like, it, kinda,
3: doing? it kinda up the vibe a little bit when you when you see all of the the toxicity uh basically 24/ 7 because we have access to the to the phones and to Twitter pretty much around the clock
1: yeah honestly man I think it's just I don't know I think it's just been a, a net negative you know what I mean and I don't know yeah, how I can we see that. I mean,
3: well, no, go ahead, marry me there. It'll be my bae. No, on the, on the the positive side, I got to get to meet people like yourself and a lot of the other people I interact with regularly. Uh, but on the downside, man, it, it gets pretty ugly on, on that. Yeah, man. So, I mean, it's same thing here. Like, I
1: I mean, the upside is, again, meeting folks like you and the other people I talk to regularly and, I mean, that's the upside because look, I mean, you know, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have had that, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, like, yeah, you know, sure you kind I of, is. I guess, I mean, you were really one against the other. And, I mean, what I've done now is, I mean, I've very much curated my Twitter timeline so that I don't see most of this stuff. You know, most of the
3: really bad stuff. And and i I, I've just chosen to basically log out of the app <laughs> whenever I see things getting a little too much, going to be too much. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I need to get better at that because you know, I've always got the phone in my hand.
1: That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to me it was, it was, it was, it, you know, we could just, I mean, kind of cut back. I don't know if there's some way to, cut back on that or cut down on it or something. It'd be be for the better. But, I mean, all we can really do is, like you said, you know, get off of Twitter more and, you know, just kind of cultivate your timeline more. So you see
3: Less less and less of the garbage. Yeah. Because a lot of it, I want to say, is purely for the reactions that, that they get, the kind of engagement that they get. Because some of those takes are just so off the wall that it's hard to believe that they actually have that opinion. Uh, but you
0: never know.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I, mean, I think there's a lot of people to start off just saying stuff to be saying it, like you, you know, like you, like you said, George, just to get reactions and all that. But then I think, I think some of them folks eventually, you know, work themselves into a shoot.
3: That's a good point too.
1: So, like during, the, like, during the Monday Night Wars time, like who were your favorite people then?
3: Oh, well, wow. right, so Sting is still going to be <laughs> number one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was a big fan of... of Harlem Heat as a tag team, and then Booker T as a solo. And oh, yeah. He's my, I guess you would say, my second all-time favorite wrestler. I uh, spoke on the WWE side WWF side at the time saw Michaels, but at the same time, he was a bad guy for, for some decent stretches in that. Uh, I like Bowen Hart as a wrestler. Uh, the NWO was compelling to watch, but I can't say that they, like, they were like, my favorite. Ahmed Johnson, oh, even yeah. though his career didn't really hit the way it was supposed to, the way I thought it should have. I was heavily invested in him and,
1: Because uh, for, for me me, um, Harlem Heat definitely was one of mine. It was up there, and unfortunately, Chris Benoit. <laughs> you know, that, that you know that, as we know, yeah, as we know that that took a turn, <laughs> that went way left. But um I was also man. I was a big jerk. Man, have fan,
3: some ECW. I have some ECW guys too, but I, I feel like that's probably outside of this uh, discussion itself because I did watch uh, ECW around 97, 98 for the first time. Well, not for the first time. I'd catch it here and there, but it came on too late for, for me to be staying up with my cousin and watching it, so I'll catch it here and there. But regularly, I didn't start with Yeah,
1: Yeah, I, mean, I watched a little ECW, and I actually ordered one of their pay-per-views once. It was like Heat Wave 98 or something like that yeah and, and um like seeing new jack was just that was an experience because <laughs> <That was important. laughs> <Definitely. You>
3: know? <laughs> now did you see the uh dark- there's definitely nothing yeah the dark side of the ring episode on new jack i definitely saw yeah, that man that, that guy was a wild <laughs> yes, boy <sir. laughs> man. um the whole thing with the uh with the stun gun on top of the scaffold <laughs> oh, yeah, and I think, uh, I don't know if I watched that pay-per-view live or if we just got a tape from a friend-the one where him and Dick Grimes first fell. I think that's the one that made him angry. That, that pay-per-view, yeah. I don't remember if it was Living Dangerously or something like that, but one of those pay-per-views, we we watched that one too. But I, that man holds a grudge, oh, yeah, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt, man, for real, for real. But, um,
1: and I was imagining like, um, uh, Jericho was one of my favorites just to see him when he first got rolling, you know, and doing the whole heel gimmick in WCW, um, that was always one of my favorite parts of the show, man. Because I always just thought he was
3: hilarious. I guess I'll place an honorable mention for the Cruiserweight division on the whole. Like, I, uh, flipping channels, I did see, like, a little bit of Ray and uh, Eddie Guerrero on uh, Vision at the time. They used to carry Lucha Libre, So, I, I – I knew their faces before they showed up in WCW, but that cruiserweight division was something groundbreaking at the time. Oh, it was, man. It's, I
1: mean, it's funny because, like, Bischoff, Eric Bischoff, he, you know, he he got something really going with that. And then, you know, they had the power plant, which was kind of like the predecessor to the PC. So, mm-hmm. I, mean, he, I mean, he had some ideas and stuff, some real, you know, some innovative stuff that really –
3: you know, we see now a full effect later. And one of my, I mean, it's probably fast forwarding too much, but one of my what if scenarios was what if uh, WCW survived and what impact that might've had, maybe they go to a, a network based system and the power plant becomes a televised developmental show, you know, <laughs> in that kind of hypothetical world. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not going easily seen that. Cause um, I mean, they were, they were bringing in indie guys. Like, Known indie wrestlers like uh, AJ Styles and Michael Modest from that late '90s time period, they were bringing them in. So, yeah, because I remember um, on one of those recent
1: specials, whatever they talked, they were talking with AJ, and he mentioned that you know that he, you know, when he was working there, and you know when they all got the word that you know things were over and all that. But yeah, I mean, he was there. Um, you know, if if they had survived, I'm assuming like Booker would have stayed. And, you know, Scott Steiner would have stayed. Goldberg and Sting would have stayed. And, it, yeah, it's just one of those kind of what ifs. What, what would have happened if they had just if they had kept going? Um, which kind of brings us to the last question. When you found out they were, that it was ending, man, how did you feel?
3: Oh, man. Uh, I know – the the hindsight answer would be sad but at the time i was just kind of just in a state of shock like almost disbelief uh seeing miss mcmahon and then later Shane McMahon pop up on wcw nitro was something that i i would have never guessed in a million years so i didn't in that immediate moment i didn't have like a negative or or positive feeling uh in general it was just like what's going on here now, I'm sure that for, the, for people who were, like, more uh, along the lines of being WCW fans, that had to be, like, a, a gut punch to them because something that they grew to love was going to die or at least maybe morph into something else. Uh, but as just a regular wrestling fan, I was just in a, a state of shock, to be honest. Uh, for me, it, well, I was one of those people, man, it was – I mean, it,
1: that hurt me. I mean, it really did. And honestly – that's around the time I was. Well, I, I kept watching for maybe like another year or so. But it wasn't the same for me after they went under. And because, I mean, just it, it, man, it just, it, you know, because it, it hurt, man, because, you know, when Rick left back in was like 91, you know, and then we thought it was going to, you know, people like me thought it was going to end. But then for them to survive that, and then get as big as they did in the Monday Night Wars. And just a few years later, like it's over. And you know, it's just like, it, it wasn't the same, man, after that. And you know what? Because like you know some people, okay, well, some people are gonna go to the WWF, right? And they're gonna be all right. Yeah, But you know, there's a lot of people that, Everybody can't go. Nah. But <laughs> like, even, even now, you know, when you know when they sign so many people now, everybody can't go. And so it's just you know some people are just gonna fall by the wayside, and then also it's just you know it, it's got its own history, it's got its own style, its own kind of aesthetic, and you you know that that's not you know that that's gone. that's true. And man, that was yeah, that man, those sad times, man, when that was being announced, and um. Yeah, because I, I mean, after that, like I said, I, you know, I kept, I stuck around for a while, about maybe another year or so. But then, you know, after, then after that, it was just kind of like, you know what? Yeah, I was just kind of, you know, just, it just lost some steam for me. And I just kind of
3: fell off again for a while after that. Because it was just. Yeah, they, they the, the, I think that the post sale era was kind of doomed to fail as far as the invasion storyline and the brand split stuff, because you really didn't have all of the horses that made the Monday night war a war, you know, you kind of just had what was left over. You didn't have the the largest of the names. So it was kind of just doomed from that point. Yeah. because think like Booker
1: wasn't like the biggest name dude that they had in that because Goldberg didn't come over and staying in Luger and, you know, Hogan and and None of them came over for that. So then, nope. I mean, it was kind of the writing was kind of on the wall when when that didn't happen. Did like, oh yeah, they well, did they just gonna you know, they are gonna run over everybody (laughs) basically, pretty much, (laughs) and that's mostly what happened.
3: Mm -hmm. So, So
1: yeah, so um, like, and so I never got into like TNA and all that stuff. Uh, did
3: you? All right. So when TNA first started, it was that weekly, I think, Wednesday pay-per-view model. I didn't purchase any of those pay-per-view, uh, pay-per-views view pay because I was a broke college student. But uh, they had, like, these half-hour, I want to say, infomercial-like specials that were used to promote the show. So I kind of watched those on the weekends, but I didn't watch any of the week- weekly uh, pay-per-views. I didn't start watching TNA until they hit Fox Sports. And even that was kind of hit or miss because depending on when I had a class, I'd, I'd miss an episode. So, okay, because I didn't start getting fully into to it until it hit Spike TV, which was oddly enough, you had a gap in wrestling. I had a gap too. Uh, I would say like in that oh three, oh four time period to like the middle of five is when I, you know, school and trying to work two job, work one job that was kind of like working two, kind of just took me out of wrestling, and I became pretty casual. Um, so I didn't really get into TNA until like '05 when it hit Spike TV. Ah, okay, because man, I I like totally dropped off
1: around like 2003, and then you know I again started working, had kids, and all that. Just didn't have time. I mean, I would occasionally just go on some websites to see what was going on, but mm-hmm. I didn't really have time to watch or get into it like that. So I didn't. Man, I didn't get back into it until. Um, Rock came back to go against you know Cena at Wrestlemania that's what got me paying attention again
3: Uh the, the biggest trip for me was when I came back to watching wrestling regularly Cena was like a big star and when I left watching wrestling he was not the big star so that, <laughs> that just threw me off you know
1: and that's funny how just you know how this stuff changes like that Yeah, but um now, for me, and then another thing for me, man, Um, like during the Monday Night Wars, that's when I was, I finished college and I was still living at my parents' house. So, you know, I had a little bit of money to burn and this is insane now, but I was, at one point, I was doubling up on pay-per-views. Yeah. Which was crazy, man. <laughs> that's like $100 a month.
3: You know, man, I'm- the start of the Monday Night Wars, uh, I just turned fifteen. Oh no, thirteen! Just turned thirteen at that point, and uh, at the end of the Monday Night Wars, I was about five months from turning eighteen.
1: <laughs> okay, because for me, yeah, I was um, when it st- when they started going, I was almost finished college, and then when it when it ended, I was out for about I'd been out for about four years. So I was in my twenties when it ended. I was in my mid-20s when it ended. And um so at that point, you know, I was I was working and I was but I was still living at home. So I had some money to burn for stuff and yeah, I was at one point I was doubling up on pay-per-views, man. It was which is crazy now when you look back at it. Cause ain't no way I'd because I mean, that's thirty a pop at that time, right? Or thirty or forty at a it was like it was like uh, yeah, it was like forty a pop. And so sometimes, you know, every now and then I had somebody over. And you can split it or whatever, but um, a lot of times you know it was just me right <laughs> watching the joint. And yeah, man, um, that's something you know, I, ain't, ain't no way I would do that now because I, no. for one, I'm, I'm, yeah, for one, I mean I'm spoiled now by the WWE network, and then, yeah, it's probably the
3: best value in uh, in entertainment when it when you consider what you would be paying for all those shows and the history and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, so I'm, yeah, you know, I've thought about at some point trying New Japan World, but um, they need to get a PlayStation app. <laughs> you know, until <laughs> that happens, like, I'm not trying to watch on, you know, until that happens and it's easy
3: to do, then, you know. I'm yeah, like, especially now when, when everything is kind of tailored towards the viewers' convenience and stuff like that, it, that that's probably the move right there. They, they're going to have to become available on multiple, more devices and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, about
1: because uh, I mean, cause it's a few people in ring of honor I like to watch now, like um, you know Shane Taylor promotions, and I love what they're doing. And um, you know, yeah, I like that. I like the combination. Oh yeah, them too, man. Yeah. And well, I'm glad they found just so, something that worked for Gresham as far as like a character or whatever, because. Um, he just seemed—he seemed destined to be one of those people that was just a great worker, but just nothing else.
3: Exactly. I, I had a little bit of a discussion about Gresham, uh, and the same thing—the same way you feel about him—is the same way I feel about him. I feel like this—the uh, story with the foundation—kind of has given him a purpose. It—it it made him a character without being a like gimmick. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm happy for him, man. That they found something that worked for him like that. And you know this is eventually leading towards him being the top top guy there, and I'll be happy when it happens. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. So look, man, it's, we going on
1: almost an hour here, man. So look, um, I ain't gonna hold you much longer. Let me We both got stuff to do. I, I apologize for the sounds of the city in the background. Oh no, man, hey, but it's cool, brother. It's cool. It's New York, baby. Man, it's cool. But um, so well, before we go, just speaking of that, I mean, how is it up there now? I mean, how you know, I know we, with the vaccines rolling out
3: more and all that, how is it up there now? Uh, it's kind of a mixed bag, man. Even before the vaccines, people some people weren't taking it all that seriously, and uh, but I'll say that. The vast majority of people that you interact with, they'll have on a mask, uh, like on the subways especially. You have one or two people that you're going to have to give the side eye to when you <laughs> into a train with a no mask on. Uh, but for the most part, I think the city has done okay. Certain pockets of the city are going to be more receptive to it than others, you know, but overall I think I think we've done okay in terms of mask compliance and stuff. That's good, man, because...
1: Yeah, like the mask thing has worked really good down here in Maryland. Uh, For the most part, people are sticking with it. And honestly, look, man, I think I've said this before, I'm probably
3: going to keep doing it, man, even when it's all over. (laughs) Same here. uh, I work in a hospital, so like uh, the hand hygiene thing and wearing masks and stuff like that isn't really an inconvenience to me. So I don't – I never really understood why people couldn't Go to the supermarket and that thirty minutes or forty minutes that they're in there have a mask on. So
1: yeah, same here. Because um, look, when it I mean when it first started popping last year, I you know I didn't wait for no mandate. I you know I had I had some here at the house, so I just I started wearing one to the store and all that, and you know I was putting on gloves and everything just from (laughs) jump. that's true so but man, it looks like look, finally, we finally got some light in the tunnel it seems though so
3: we just, look, we just like, hang on for another few months <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean yeah hey, but, and uh, I'll say that I really haven't gotten sick either in the past year and that's probably uh, to the mask and, and that's the thing right because normally
1: like during the fall and the winter I usually catch a cold a few times and that didn't happen this year so I'm look I'm totally attributing that to wearing the mask and in the store and all that Hundred percent. So look, man. All right.
3: So, thank you for coming on, brother, man. I appreciate it, man. I uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity, man. Uh, like I said, it's it's part of my Friday morning routine. <laughs> you know, I'm put on the podcast while I'm either exercising or making breakfast or, anything or something like that. And uh, I look forward to many more episodes. I know you hit the one year mark not too long ago. Congratulate you. You into a year. Well, thank you, man. Thank you.
1: And Keep this thing going. Oh, I plan to. And, alright, so before we head out, you got any anybody you want to shout out or anything? Oh,
3: man, uh, I, really, I should have prepared myself. For this <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I, i've, I've uh, tried to do podcasting and little stuff like that but i don't i don't have the kind of consistency to make it work so i'll just shout you out and uh shout out uh i guess dj from mindless musings because i through you is how i uh, found out about his podcast uh, definitely...
1: all right well look everybody uh That's it for this week. So, as always, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. God bless you guys, and talk to you next week.